is that pretty uh, do you have a lot of creative creativity in that or is that all just kind of standard stuff and you're really just changing materials and stuff uh, it's it's 50 50 it's also uh it, it has to be tempered a little bit with what is expected so um a lot of people tend to say that they're looking for like a giant leap in something but they're not comfortable with a leap so and in, in, in sometimes in a designer's mind a leap is way further than in a customer or a salesman's mind for, so um sometimes we leap too far and it just puts people off to the design they're like that's that's just that's just too different um so sometimes we have to stick with what the customer is comfortable with um in certain times like um velcro kind of being a necessary evil um uh, everyone is yeah everyone there's there's obvious things that people have grievances with it but it works and it's simple and it's versatile and so sometimes when you're doing a design you come up with some cool new way involving tucking something and doing whatever and in the end they're like but wouldn't it be better and more reliable if it were Velcro? Marshall in the middle. I'm from uh, St. Louis, Missouri. But wow. Like most of my life in St. Louis, Missouri. Cool, cool. What was it like uh, growing up there in St. Louis? Were you a city kid or a, uh, out in the rural area? Suburbs. Yeah, so I was the uh, St. Louis County, which is just like the, the non-claimed areas uh, around uh, Chesterfield, Baldwin, like it's it's West County, St. Louis, basically. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, were you uh, were you good in school? Were you a good school school person? Yeah, um, I. I mean, there was a year or two there where something wasn't clicking, but pretty much everything was in, you know, high marks and stuff like that. Um, I probably got a little cocky with some of my teachers that uh, I'd be getting like more than 100% in their class. So I would just kind of take liberties with like asking if I could leave the class. Probably a little little too cocky, but uh, they, they let me do it, so. <laughs> Oh, that's great, right? Being the smart guy gets you some privileges sometimes, huh? Well, it was kind of like, um, you know, if somebody kind of outs you and you uh, you don't really have it, like you can't play it down because they've already outed you, so you might as well just own it. So um, I was doing something, and I think it, the teacher asked me to teach something to the class while she had to go do something and um they asked her like well, why does why does he get to do that and she said because he's getting more than 100 percent in the class so i was like oh well since you already out of me i might as well just own it <laughs> yeah there you go and i'll just get up and leave whenever i want since i <laughs> yeah. mastered the material yeah and teach it when they ask me to <laughs> That's great. That's great. Do uh do you remember do you, like did you play sports as a kid or did or did you do you like take music lessons or anything like that? Um so I started when I was 
single digits into the early doubles, I was doing gymnastics. Um, I always liked archery and uh, fencing, but I only took a few, I took a few courses in uh, fencing, martial arts. Um, I did was, um, karate, and um, I always forget the order. Um, I did three three different martial arts styles for a little while, but I never I got like a third of the way through the belts and then stopped. And then uh, I did baseball for a little while. I got I got a I got a, a rough reputation as a pitcher who always hit the first batter. Um, that wasn't intentional. I just had to hone in, you know, the the zone. <laughs> and unfortunately, hitting the first batter kind of helped me <laughs> hone in the zone. So. Uh, your left and right limits, huh? Yeah, and then uh, I, I guess I got a little reputation. Nobody wanted to be the first uh, pitcher. But, um, yeah, I didn't really carry over into sports into middle of, high, middle of middle school. I probably stopped, and I didn't do any sports in high school. I just did uh, JROTC uh, in high school and then um, some ROTC in college. But other than that. Oh, that's cool. So you did you did the uh, you know the JROTC. They teach you some of the army skills of you know marching and you know just basic soldier stuff. And some of the schools have uh, rifle ranges and stuff. You know. I wish that one was mine. I do. That would have been very nice. Uh, mine was uh, high school was JROTC Air Force, and now we we had the whole structure. So I. Uh, went up in the ranks, and I ended up being group commander uh, for more than one term. And so, yeah, we did marching. We did uh, honor guard, color guard, rifle drills. Uh, we didn't have a range, unfortunately. That would have been nice. And then college, there was a lot more, a lot more stuff. College was army, and I enjoyed that way better because that's – if I did join the military, that's where I wanted to be was the army. And so I was way more into it and they did, you know, FTX field training and uh, combat water survival training and I, um, day and night land nav, which I love. Um, so that, that stuff, I really enjoyed it. So that's probably as athletic as I got. Yeah. So that, like Nightland Nav is kind of a spooky kind of thing to think about, right? You know, it's not like something that that like people really do in in real life anymore. People are like, hey, let's let's go out, traipse through the woods in the middle of the night and search for a point without a flashlight. You know. Right. Which is super fun. If I don't know if you're a person like me, that's weird. But um, more more likely when you see that it's in like horror movies and they're not supposed to be out there. Like anyone that walks out in the forest at night, they think that some murderer is going to come out of a bush or something. But uh, the those are some of like the best stories I think were from like Nightline Nav and stuff like that. So anyone that doesn't do that sort of stuff, like they don't get the cool stories to tell. So <laughs> you don't make memories unless you're having you know tough you know shared experiences. If it's not you know flat tire after you've been drinking all night, you know, or something, you know, uh, uh, we had a, a Nightland Nav story. I was competing for a uh, NCO of the year in 92, 
and we were doing Nightland Nav, and one of the Soldier of the Year contestants got lost, and we couldn't find her for like hours and hours. We're we're traipsing around in the middle of the night with our flashlights all out, yelling her name, you know. And uh, turned out they found her like four hours later. She was at this ranger station. She had made it to, and she was just sitting up on the porch when it got daylight, you know. Did they have the Did they have like the emergency azimuth set up or something? Did she? Yeah, you know exactly. Sometimes you just don't get it right. You know? Yeah, Sometimes my my uh, the two I always tell are um, you know, in the movies when somebody's like walking in the forest or something, and then they step somewhere near a cliff or something, and the and and the ground like gives way, and they like fall like Indiana Jones, and they're like grabbing at a like a root or something. That literally happened to me at, in Nightland now because the guy, um, he was a sophomore, I think. Or no, he's a junior. Junior was leading us in, in land now and he had no idea, but he was leading us some, somewhere. And uh, we were like, okay, so it, he's like, okay, I think we're near a draw. And then we're supposed to go this way. And as we're walking, the ground broke away on my right foot. And it was like, there was a draw, um, more cliff than a draw, but it, like I dropped down and I, I grabbed the roots just like in the movies and they were like starting to like kind of pull out of the ground. And I just remember somebody uh, turning around and hearing something, they go, where's Lamar? <laughs> and I'm like, down here. Oh, no. And then, uh, go ahead. They drag you out of there, huh? Yeah, yeah, they did the, they did the grab me by the pack and pull me back up thing, and they were like, yeah, this, like we thought that only happened in the movies. It's like apparently not. I mean, apparently the ground is very unstable. <laughs> um, right around that time when we 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 walked out of there, um, he was he was a little lost, and then uh, all of a sudden our group commander like came out of the bushes. Like like a, like a cartoon, like Homer Simpson, just like coming out of the bushes. He just stepped out of the bushes and he's like, how you guys doing? <laughs> and he's like, uh, we're a little lost. And he's like, what are you lost for? It's full of loon right now. It's fantastic and everything. <laughs> and I was like, I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> I just let him do the talking. And then like, as soon as he's like, he just goes and points in a direction and then steps back into the bushes. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he had no map. He had no nothing. He was just ninja out there it's pretty cool yeah it's neat to be in the in the woods and not you know like you're in charge right you because you can not have to worry about it you just go over there go oh yeah it's over there you know, yeah <laughs> so so tell me about uh your drawing and, and stuff i know that that at least the, one of the things that intrigued me about you was was you know some of your design ideas and you know, some of the, I know that like some of the stuff you have behind you, some of the Star Wars memorabilia and stuff is, you know, you'd like to draw some of that stuff, right? Is that true? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I got into this field because, well, it's, it's almost like I, I, there was an accident that put me in the wrong field, but the accident turned out to be kind of good. Uh, so when I told the, um, what do they call them now? We used to call them uh, uh, counselors or something like that in our high school. The, I mean, you go talk to them about your problems or whatever, but you also talk to them about like career 
like what you want to do and they're supposed to kind of like guide you and tell you oh you need to take these credits and stuff like that to help you with this um mine wasn't very knowledgeable uh they knew the very very surface of careers nothing very deep so i said i wanted to design things like products and um you know like I, like in the movies when they would come up with like the new star trek uh starship enterprise design or something like that and they go oh yeah yeah okay so you want to be an engineer and i'm like you know well maybe because my dad's a mechanical and electrical engineer and um so I'm like, my mom, I think it's computer science. So I was like, okay, so that maybe makes sense. And so I did that at Mizzou for a year and I was extremely unhappy. And it was just a bunch of math sciences, which I score high in, but I was, I, I do not like them. Um, I'm a very analytical person but I do not like the plug this into a formula and get the outcome kind of a thing. I like the more creative aspect. So I, I started getting low grades in college, but not because like I couldn't, you know, I wasn't going to do it, but because I just didn't want to, like it was really bothering me. And also they, 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 they say, I, I don't feel like colleges and schools really get to know students and stuff. I think that they, they really just care about you you going somewhere and you getting a degree so you can get a job. So they would take my credits that I had and they said, okay, you qualify for chemistry two or something like that because you took chemistry in high school. Like, okay, well, I took chemistry as a freshman in high school. So by the time I got to college and did chemistry two, I had no idea what they were talking about because it was like three and a half years ago when they were talking about this stuff. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I can try to go back and teach myself chemistry one again on my own time. But like the labs have nothing to do with the class, you know, and, and then the, the quizzes that you take online have nothing to do with the class or the lab. So it was like taking three courses while trying to teach myself a, a fourth. And I was so unhappy. And I remember talking to my parents. And I'm like, I, I never like to admit defeat on something but i'm like i have to be super honest here i am incredibly unhappy i'm incredibly stressed out and you know my favorite thing was getting up for pt at 5 30 in the morning that's saying something if pt is your favorite thing during the day <laughs> so i was like no 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 this is this is not working so i talked to the counselor i said well go talk to the counselors my parents were like very understanding they said, go talk to the counselor, see what's going on. So I talked to that counselor and they go, oh, you don't want to be an engineer at all. After I told them what I wanted to do, I showed them sketches and stuff like that. You don't want to be that. You want to be an industrial designer. And I'm like, okay, well, A, that sounds more correct right off the bat because it's got the word designer in it. Um, so then they're like, oh, yeah, they, they, they pegged you completely incorrect. Um, so then I went to Southern Illinois Carbondale. And that's uh, where I did most of my industrial design. And I was very happy and I was doing very well and every, everything just lined up. But yeah, a long, long story short, but not that short. <laughs> well, that was awesome. So yeah, so, you know, so you went and got a degree as industrial design and then you were one of the original 
designers with was it Eagle when they first came out? Was that yeah? I worked with Eagle. Messing up the story. No, uh, so Eagle was around. Um, oh, and a little bit of, of your previous question, I just remembered kind of what you asked. Uh, the the drawing and design stuff. So that I mean that, that's how I got into the drawing and design. But I always do the kind of stuff you see in in movies, like draw that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I work my way back to more practical design that we can do now. But um, I always keep the, the stuff that's, that's further out there. So it's like you, you shoot far, but, you know, you hit close. And then uh, uh, th that stuff always informs your design. Like everybody was super thrilled with, with Iron Man. All the industrial designers were drooling when Iron Man came out because it was an industrial designer's wet dream. Um, but... Yeah, so the sketch work that I do and stuff, which I, I should I should do a lot more, and I'll be honest, 90% of what I do in my field is MacGyvering, basically. So taking stuff you you know you have already and trying to do new stuff with it, right? So um, I will sketch whenever possible just to try to, as more of a tool for myself, more of a tool to people I work for to try to get them to imagine you know, cool things that could be to get them more comfortable with pushing the, pushing the bounds. Yeah. So just, just so that everybody kind of knows, I guess, I, I, I intend to put this out on the, you know, the internet if we like it, you know, but you are the designer. This guy that we're talking to is basically, if not the designer, one of the head designers of the latest tactical vest that our warriors are wearing. You are the guy that has led the team in a lot of situations that has put that together. Is that Would that be a true statement? Yes. For certain groups, um, when I was with Eagle, I did do a vest that was um, cleared for usage with a higher tier group. Um, and uh, yeah, I worked on I worked on that with a with a team of people, and then about halfway through the project, they kind of just drafted it under me, and then I just I just ran it all to completion, did the the feedback with the different groups involved with that larger group, um, customized it to their needs and stuff, and it it won the contract along with uh, I believe Cry. Yeah, I think it was it was Cry Precision, and then and then the vest that I worked on. Yeah, so that I mean, I I think that is just totally cool. And now the the you know you're continuing that with the with the work that you're doing now, and you're making some great great products and great designs. I I was you know I was a salesman for the company for a time, and I enjoyed uh, very much showing off the designs that you helped create. Tell me about that process, if you don't mind. Is that is that, I mean is that pretty. Do you have a lot of creative creativity in that, or is that all just kind of standard stuff, and you're really just changing materials and stuff? Uh, it's it's fifty fifty. It's also uh, it it has to be tempered a little bit with what is expected. So um, a lot of people tend to say that they're looking for like a giant leap in something, but they're not comfortable with a leap. So. And in, in, in sometimes in a designer's mind, a leap is way further than in a customer or a salesman's mind. For, so um, sometimes we leap too far and it just puts people off 
to the design. They're like, that's, that's just, that's just too different. Um, so sometimes we have to stick with what the customer is comfortable with. Um, in certain times, like, um, Velcro kind of being a necessary evil. Um, everyone is, yeah, everyone, there's, there's obvious things that people have grievances with it, but it works and it's simple and it's versatile. And so sometimes when you're doing a design, you come up with some cool new way involving tucking something and doing whatever. And in the end, they're like, but wouldn't it be better and more reliable if it were Velcro? And you're like, I mean, they're both reliable, except of course, Velcro has been in the field for so long that you're just going to trust it no matter what I tell you. So you want me to slap Velcro on it? And they're like, yeah, put Velcro on it. <laughs> so we'll put Velcro on there. So um, that happens a lot. I mean, but but I'm, I'm waiting for people to get more comfortable with things because you don't, when I try to design new things that are not just change, you know, like changing materials and stuff, somebody has to do it first. Um, you hope not to be the person like, like the George Lazenby to the, to the, um, you know, to the, the next bond, um, and, and do a bad job or not, not necessarily, I mean, George Lazenby didn't really do a bad job, but he got a bad rap for being, you know, the next bond and, and nobody can be Sean Connery. So, but then the next guy after George Lazenby got a good reception. Um, and, and I don't know if you follow the, the, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, the Marvel stuff. Well, they do a lot of that where the, the first person to try something new is not liked or it's, it's not accepted, but then the next person is more liked. So there's some things that people have kind of cleared the way a little bit. And they've made it a little bit easier to design cool new things like cummerbunds on tactical vests uh, in the front, traditionally always Velcro. You lift a flap, you peel the Velcro. Um, we wanted to do cool new things. We came up with some de designs of stuff and people are like, yeah, but I trust Velcro. And then another company comes out with a buckle that goes there on the front. And then everyone suddenly is like, okay, what buckle? So then we're like, get ready for all new designs because now you guys are cool with buckles. So you're about to get some cool stuff. So it'll it it's a it's a back and forth, a balancing thing, and trying to make sure that you design something that's right to the very edge of what's still acceptable and people are comfortable with. I mean, unless you're gonna blow them out of the water with something that's just so cool because sexy sells. And if you're going to go way too far, you better make that thing Halle Berry. Amen to that. Amen to that. You've got <laughs> a, a current product, a crossover vest out there that's trying to do a little bit of everything. How's that working out for you? Oh, yeah. I believe yeah, the ODC line, I believe, is the one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the ODC line uh, was, a, was, a, was an attempt at pushing a little further. And... Um, we are, we're at the generation two of the product and um, we're about to do a generation three and the generation three is going to basically take any of the things that people were still like it pushed a little too far out of people's comfort zones and um, 
it's one of those things that it looks more complicated than it is. And someone will say this takes, I think someone said uh, assembling something like this took um, three hands and 10 minutes to put together or whatever. But then I took that same person, I put their vest down, I took it all apart and put it all back together in like a minute. And they were like, oh, that's all you have to do? So there is a little bit where you have to kind of make something intuitive. And obviously to, to make this as versatile as we wanted to make it, we were pushing a little bit past the intuitive portion. So now we were, we're pushing more into uh, expanding our manufacturing capabilities to take a little bit of that pressure off of the user and make it re pre-made in the product. So it's going to take complexity out, but give you the full versatility. What, so, you know, you just said something that just makes me smile. What's it like to design something and then know that you got to teach somebody else to make the same thing or to uh, mass produce it or whatever? You know, I mean, it's it's got to be weird, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like you got to think in your head, like, okay, so now you're, I'm, I'm only building with three things in mind. Well, actually, technically four things. Um, but I always tend to think, uh, because I don't, I won't say I don't get out much, but I don't have as much customer exposure as I would like. So I really rely heavily on the sales force to be my go-between, to tell me what the customer wants, what their needs are, what their feedback is, and stuff like that. You know, I'll look online uh, every once in a while, and yes, I saw that YouTube video of me where the guy said that, that I'm too skinny and weight training is required. Uh, I'm working on it. Um, so I, I'm, I'm getting the feedback. Uh, so, yeah, so I rely on the sales force to tell me kind of what the customer wants. That's one aspect. The other aspect is coming up with the best design. Um, no matter what it is, whether it's adjusting your shoulder strap or closing the front of the vest for donning and doffing, whether it's putting your plate into a pocket I always try to look at what's the best way of doing it. And then also the third tier is manufacturability. It doesn't matter if you design the coolest thing ever made, if it can't be produced or be or can't be produced reliably. Um, so I always make sure that I have a lot of feedback from what we call operations. Uh, and I'm, I'm, they know me out there. Um, they have nicknames for me. I know that. Uh, but I'm always out on the floor. I'm working with the people on the floor. I'm setting my own grommets and snaps with the people out there that are setting them on thousands of vests going out every day. So uh, anytime that they tell me that they have a problem with something or something's too hard to manufacture, um, I don't abandon the design, but I try to think of an easier way to accomplish it so that it can come out uh, consistent and it can come out good quality. So there's always that 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 act between that the triad of of people to keep in mind when they're making a product. And um, you can tell in the industry when you see somebody that that sways one way or the other in the thing. But my goal is to be pretty much dead center, trying to make sure that that all parties are as pleased as possible. And and it's you know because like I said, you can you can make the coolest vest and make the customer 
super happy, but if it can't get manufactured properly and get to them, then they're not going to be happy. So, so there's like a really small group of guys like you in the United States of America that design the products that you design. Is there, is there a, like, do y'all have like a, a subreddit or something that y'all all talk on or something? No, but okay. So I, I don't know how it is. Cause I've actually, uh, well, I know probably three or four of them by, by reputation. I've met probably two of them in person. Um, I've heard one of them has a nickname for me. Uh, but I think it's one of those, like, it's almost like, a, like a, not like a cold war, like a, like a kind of like a friendly cold war or whatever. But, um, I actually don't know what it's like on the opposite side. Like I can say that, like, I know them like as by reputation and whenever they come out with something or we both come out with something at the same time, very similar or whatever, I'm like, dang it. And I like, I'll say the person's name. But I don't know if, honestly, I don't even know if they know I exist other than that one, well, two, two of them know I exist. I know that. Um, and the one that has a nickname for me and the one that met me in person. But other than that, I mean, the other three, I'm not even sure they know me. Yeah. So, but you guys come up with some of the, you know, the most innovative products. You guys are the world leaders in protective equipment and design for that stuff. It's really cool, you know. Uh, what's it like to know that, you know, the stuff that you're developing is helping to save people? Isn't that cool, right? Yeah, it's 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 extremely rewarding when you see something like that. Like there was a, a video of now also, I don't I mean, I'm not going to take credit for the people making the ballistics, because to be honest, the things that are in the vests are really what are stopping the bullet. Um, and that's crazy awesome with the stuff they could figure out in the packages to make them thinner and lighter and more flexible and and stuff like that um and mine is basically the shell but but depending on what's important to you sometimes the shell could be the coolest part like when i look at a mustang to be honest i'm not the guy that's all like oh it's a whatever leader whatever horsepower i'm like that mustang looks sexy like <laughs> there you go so, i agree 100% so I think I'm I think I'm right where I need to be, and um, it is really nice when to see when somebody has been saved and they're wearing one of your products. Um, and of course, there's always the opposite side. You never want to hear somebody getting shot, and you know it didn't it didn't do you know it wasn't in the area. Like um, you hope they're wearing everything they can. I think I think I was. Uh, the, the good side is there was an officer, there's a video on YouTube or whatever, of a, two officers come up on this person and they're like, they got a gun in their hand. They're like, drop the gun, drop the gun. And then they shoot him and the, the officer gets shot. And he's like kind of flipping out and his partner's flipping out. And like his partner is like checking him and he like rips open his shirt and he goes, all right, all right, it was stopped in your vest. It was stopped in your vest. And it was my vest that they were wearing. Uh, and it, it was that that's a very good feeling um yeah and you and you gotta you gotta be humble about it though you gotta be always have positive thoughts because you know the opposite people are getting shot all the time so the opposite could happen um you hope nobody gets shot so you kind of stop yourself from hoping oh somebody gets shot i hope they're wearing my vest and it saves them you can't really think that way because then you're hoping somebody gets shot it's like you know it's like 
So you hope no, you hope your product is never needed. Well, uh, but when it is, it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So, uh, you know, so what's the next uh, type of products and 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 you know, not ballistics, but shells and things that are, you know, are we going to get reliable thigh armor uh, and groin protectors that that folks will wear? Uh, are we gonna are we gonna you know increase coverage in our in our side area in some ways? Uh, you know, are there you know groin armor, a female specific armor? You know, tell me what's the latest that you, you guys are working on. Man, I'm pretty much everything you said is stuff we're always working on. Um, the goal is how can you get someone wanting to wear something that they already don't want to wear? You know, so. It's just like nobody wants to wear the body armor, uh, especially in areas that they, they're going to feel like, you know, interestingly enough, I think they want to look like RoboCop, but they don't want to feel like RoboCop, and they don't want to have to walk like RoboCop. Uh, so the goal is to try to make something that is almost not noticed uh, so that the question to them is, why wouldn't you wear it? You know, so the human body, um, I did a lot of ergonomics in college, uh, a lot of courses. And of course, I have every every industrial designer has the, the measure of man book like I have on my bookshelf that has anthropomorphic measurements and stuff, uh, collected data from the U.S. Army and all that stuff. Human body is difficult to armor, uh, as evident by the fact that our species does not have armor like an armadillo or stuff like that. We're, we're not, we didn't grow into a shape that lends itself to armor. And um, you always look back on things like, can you, can you get the coverage that a, like a, a medieval knight used to have? Can you get that style of coverage? And actually there's a big misconception of medieval armor. They think it's, it's very heavy and it's very cumbersome. In reality, I think there was a, someone that did a, a, a test, a, an O course, and they had a firefighter wearing a tank and his gear and a guy in a full head and toe medieval armor and a guy in medieval armor won. He blew the firefighter away because uh, the armor is only like 60 pounds, but it's spread out over the whole body. And all the, the joints and the linkages and stuff like that gave a very good amount of mobility. So uh, you always look back at stuff like that and you see, well, can we, can we get coverage in this area? The, the, the hard part is always that the armor today to stop a, a velo high velocity rounds and stuff like that has to be thicker than you would like. So our innovations are kind of mirrored by the innovations in the armor department. Um, whenever they come up with something thinner and lighter, I could come up with something better, more coverage, more mobility. Same thing goes with flexibility. And right now, unfortunately, the there's like the sliding scales of um, like flexibility, thickness, protection, and we have to address it price. And those sliders move around and there's nothing in the world that's low price, high mobility, low thickness, high protection, you know, like in, in high flexibility, like that doesn't exist. And a lot of people think that they're like the genius in the room when they walk in and go, yeah, but could you make it lighter and thinner? That would be good. It's like, that's what we're, that's our, that's our whole job. That's our life. That's what we're trying to do, buddy. Um, 
and they're always like, did you try the, the liquid that turns into a salad when you shoot it? And they're like, you know how heavy liquid is? <laughs> so it's like, did you want to walk around carrying giant water bags? I mean, water sucks to carry. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, you want to get more coverage. The goal is a little bit driven by the innovations of the armor. Uh, we can only we can do so much with the design, but it it also goes down to the, the the operator. Like a lot of people, they 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 fluctuate back and forth. They want to wear more, they want to wear less. But a lot of times, people want to look like SEAL Team Six. They want to roll around with a dinner plate on their chest and some skeletal side parts, but somehow be fully protected like Iron Man. It's like that's it's not the reality. So you gotta. If you're going to make it something big, you got to make it look good. So what's your favorite vest? If you were going to, you know, be on a SWAT team and, you know, what, which one are you going to wear? Uh, scalable plate carrier is the category that I like the most. Um, and like, so the, the scale of armor, which I kind of like, I won't say that I invented the scale, but like, I, I feel like I'm one of the first people to actually write down the scale of coverage and to get it out to people to understand. You know, you got your plate rack, which is just the front and back plate with side straps, no side coverage. You got plate carrier that gets you the side ballistic coverage. Then you go scalable plate carrier, which allows you to add the accessories onto like a regular plate shaped style carrier, but it gives you like the throat, collar, bicep, groin. And they normally have these little interim adapters that kind of bridge the gaps between those areas. They give you maybe some clavicle protection to bridge in between. And then uh, the light tactical is the one that's basically a concealable shape, but in a tactical vest. And that has all the accessories. And then the, the medium tactical, which is the traditional level of coverage. And then you have the max coverage or heavy tactical, also called a bullet catcher. Which is the big one that you can you can barely sit down in, but it's the guy first guy through the door that's going to get a shotgun to the belly, um, that kind of thing. I like the scalable plate carrier because you can strip it down to basically be a plate carrier or even a plate rack if you take off the side ballistics, but you can get up to a good amount of coverage. And um, the I, I gravitate towards that because every about six months I take my design team. Uh, on an airsoft training there's an indoor court it's about an hour from where we work and they have it set up like a like a like a small like a street setting like a urban city kind of environment with like cop, broken up cop cars and you know like a bookstores and stuff like that and every six months i take my my team there and, and other people in the department that want to come with us this last time was great we had uh, 15 people come which was the biggest turnout i had and we wear our company's products. And I usually determine which product we're going to wear that time so that everybody is wearing the same type of product. We can all give feedback and notice things. It's, it's basically like 15 wear tests of the same product. And um, it, that goes along with my, my hazing that I do for my designers on my team is when they're first hired for two weeks straight, they wear a tactical vest with plates. Um, because I want them to know what it feels like. Uh, so, yeah, the, the the trainings and stuff like that, and and the, the, the hazing and stuff like that. The, Not supposed to call it hazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> initiation. There you go. Initiation. 
Um, the, initial, the initial agreement. <laughs> yes. Familiarity training. Um, so yeah, like uh, that is really tells you areas that you get shot in the most. And I mean, better than walking around and asking people, hey, where do you get shot? Because if they got shot and they're there, it was usually in armor or leg or in the vest. Um, and we get as much data as we can from the military about where hits are going, but it, it really strikes home when you're getting hit in a spot and you're like, I really, I'm tired of getting shot in the ass. Like, <laughs> <laughs> how, do I, how do I protect that ass? Huh? Yeah. I mean, you realize what parts when, when you're doing something, it's very hard to get visibility on something while not getting visibility on yourself. You have to expose yourself to see what's going on. So your head, your arm, when you pie corners, like, you know, every, you're, when you're wearing our armor, you're the, you're the good guy. Okay. So you're usually the one coming to them and they're usually the one waiting for you. So it's, it's something where you need to have a product that's versatile for the whole team, which is why I like the scalable plate carrier. You can have a whole team wear that vest. The sniper can strip it down to the bare minimum. Uh, the guy, the lead entry person can wear the entire thing head to toe, you know, and it's probably the best all around thing. It's probably what people are, the army's already gone, starting to go to it. And as are the Marines. Although the Marines, it feels like they're starting to uh, not care about accessory protection, to be honest. Uh, but the army's still into the, you know, biceps, deltoids, throats, groins, collars, like all that stuff. So, but they're still hovering around the, the scalable plate carrier with the new vests that they're working on. So what are you um, most excited about in the industry? Uh, and actually, and part of that, can you talk to me about Molly versus this new slits and stuff that they're putting in there? You know, I know that's something that's going on. Yeah. So um, uh, like, like with other things, there is a, an apprehension about change and people like molly it's tried it's true strong it's you know it's like that's a, that's whenever sees molly they think that's gonna last me that's gonna work and stuff like that and they see laser cut uh versions and they think that looks not as durable that looks you know all this stuff and but what they're not seeing are the benefits so with a laser cut slitting uh, what you're essentially doing is backing up, like Molly's traditionally the one, one inch webbing with the one inch space and another one inch webbing. You can only put your pouch in that style. But with laser cut slits, it's like Molly, right against Molly, right against Molly, right against Molly. So you can shift your pouch up and down by inch increments rather than two inch increments. And so there's, a, there's an automatic benefit there. Um, there's a reduction in snag hazards because the Molly's on the outside. And this is one planar surface. Um, there's a definite professional uh, look increase. So people feel that the, the laser cut look is definitely more technical looking. It's more professional, clean, and less threatening. That's why laser cut is actually uh, starting to pick up a little bit more in the law enforcement market because they see Molly as militaristic and they want not to be viewed as militaristic, which I mean, which is hard not to be looked as militaristic when you're carrying an M4 and you have a, 
a plate carrier on and pouch is hanging off of a magazine. Um, and uh, it might be a moot point when you have the, the pouches on the vest anyway, blocking whatever you would have visible Molly anyway. But uh, it's definitely, when you see it, it's less assuming. It looks cleaner, slicker, um, the term they like to use in the industry, high speed, low drag. Um, and of course, it is a lighter system too when you take, now it's the lighter thing that a lot of people like to claim, they, like, they take a small section, they say, well, this is 15% lighter than everything like that. Well, yes and no. I mean, a, a bicep has zero, zero pouch attachments on it. So is a laser cut bicep any lighter than a normal one? Not really, because <laughs> there's nothing on it. But in the vest areas itself, it's, it's much lighter than if you were to do an equivalent of that. Uh, the only concern is a lot of people have, and, and people don't understand that the, it absorbs less moisture. So if you're soaked and stuff, the vest will weigh less. And it's it's minimal, but they like also use the phrase ounce or the um, ounces add to pounds and pounds equal pa pounds add to pain. So um, the people that that are apprehensive about the laser cut currently are the ones that think it's not strong. And what I always talk to them is like, so how strong do you want it? Like because Molly is normally rated, I think it's around 160 pounds. And um, the, the stuff that our company uses, and I know like other competitors are around that strength range too. Um, but like 160 pounds, like what do you do with it? Like, <laughs> it's like, are you, are you running down a hill and your pouch got caught on a doorknob on your way down the hill and <laughs> you pulled your whole body weight against like, and it's just like, and that, that's one, what we call pal, that's one section grab. So you'd have to fall out of like, like what was that movie Spy or something? You'd have to fall out of a plane getting hit by another plane going the opposite direction like <laughs> to even rip that. So it's interesting. I was, so I was talking to a, so as a salesman, I was talking to an operator one time that said, that said that the laser cut wasn't strong enough. And I says, well, I said, well, what do you want it to do? He says, well, I want it to pull away like it does on the Molly. And I'm like, well, wh what? <laughs> and yeah, you're saying it's not strong enough and you want it to break? And, and, and it, it just, the, the argument went into, oh, I didn't really, I don't, I was just trying to make up something to say something. I just want it to be <laughs> cankerous. And I was like, okay, well, we're good. That's fine. That's, well, that's, that's, that's actually why I do like talking directly to customers. And I think, I think there's, there's some reps that like me talking to their customers and there's some reps that don't. <laughs> um, because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mean, but I am blunt some of the times where they say, oh, I want that, I want that, I want that. And I go, when would you even need that? Can you even reach what you just asked me to put on there? Like they, they'll say like, uh, they all think that they're, their cue, you know, from, from MI6. And they think that, that, yeah, I want this and I want to be able to put two or three tablets into this vest. And I'm like, okay, A, when you need two or three tablets, B, you're complaining to me about the, 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 the padding on the inside of the vest, pushing it too far away from the body, but you want to cram a tablet into the front, which is twice as thick as the foam that we're going to have in there. Like, so 
I'll like run by those things a little bit and they're kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah. And some of them are, are better responsive and some of them are a little defensive on the responses. And I think the sales reps know who those customers are. Um, I, tend, I tend to get along best with the, the higher tier operator guys because they're kind of like no BS. Like it, it, it's almost like they look at you and go, hey, if I'm, if I'm talking stupid, tell me. Like, so, and I'm like, you're talking stupid. <laughs> like, so. The better, the better the operator is, the better feedback you're going to get from them, right? You know, that's really the real, the real deal, I think. Well, yeah, and the, and the, and the one who, there's, there's the one who is in the situation, and there's the one who's preparing for the situation. The one who's preparing for the situation thinks they need a, a big old rollout laundry list of stuff. And the person who's been in the situation or is currently in the situations are like, I need these three things. I need more One of them is duct tape. So, so, Hey, what do you think about when you see how your designs have been, you know, changed or uh, modified? What happens when somebody comes back with the good idea fairy and, and was, uh, they messed around with one of your vests. Uh, I've I've had uh recently a few vests where they've <laughs> they've 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 done a lot to one of them. And the funny thing is, like, it's a vest that I uh helped design for a federal group, and um it was really liked by our own sales team, and they said we could sell it. So I made a commercial version of it. But what I did was I I did it the way I would do it and not the way that the federal group was telling us to do it. And um, there was, a, there was a, a thing where the, the group that was acting as the go between the small business, whatever, saw we were coming out with something like that. And they were like, oh, that's our best. And we said, oh, no, 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 no. So we, they actually came in and we, we described to them the differences between what I did and what I did for this federal agency and they got real quiet and they leaned over and they were talking to each other and they said, we like yours better. And, and I go, well, that's cool. You can't have it, <laughs> but like, cause it's our, I mean, you can have it. It's just not exclusive to you. Um, but sometimes the thing is the good idea fairy is like, I always like to say to a operator, um, if I was like a, a witness to a hostage situation, would your team come over and hear my plan for how to save those hostages? Or do you guys know what you do and I trust you to do it? Well, this, this is what I do and you should tell me what you need and trust me that I can get it for you. Amen. And yeah, I've, I've seen one or two vests where we have a, our, our process where the customer can customize to the, the smallest uh, degree of our vests what they want to do and it it looked like a cluster to me and i'm like wow this is and they're like oh yeah it's better because it's lighter they go oh it's lighter and it's more streamlined and stuff like that and i go a you cannot have something with more features and more things hanging off it and say it's more streamlined b it physically weighs more than the original so it's not lighter <laughs> so but they didn't want to hear it right so you know, sometimes the customers are just, they're in love with their baby and you can't break them of it. What's next, you know, for 
for body armor and body armor carriers and stuff like that. What is there something on the horizon that we're looking forward to? I know we got a new Omega plate that's pretty thin and light and stops wingtip. And I know you're not a ballistic guy, so I'm not asking you to necessarily get into the details of ballistics. But you know, what's the next? I know we did buckles, the side closure buckles and stuff. You know, is there something else on the horizon, maybe? Well, I think I think the the trend is probably going to go a little more uh, technical than it is um, rugged. For a while, the the tactical market uh, looked more rugged than it did technical. Um, it, I mean, it, it it was it was gear like the old Eagle days was like two layers of thousand denier Kadura double stitched together with lifetime warranty. Um, which is one of the things I changed at Eagle was the lifetime warranty. Okay. So I, I changed the language for them because I, I walked out one day and I saw uh, one of our, our lady that was working, she does return repairs and stuff like that. And she's sewing, she's taking something apart to repair a patch. And I, I look at it, I said, what are you doing? She's like, oh, it's got a hole in it. And I looked at it, it was a bullet hole. And I was like, why are you repairing this? She goes, because we have a lifetime warranty. And I go, yeah, but that's a bullet hole. Like, <laughs> warranties are for, like, something that, that didn't work right or fell apart or normal wear and tear, which is a language I put into the lifetime warranty of Eagle. It's the normal wear and tear part, not a bullet hole. Um, but people expect the tactical products to be able to roll down Mount Fuji, you know, and land in a lava pit, and then you can take it up and shake it off, and then it's still good to go. Um, and I think, and I don't want to, I'm, I'm not going to phrase this differently, there's a new crowd, I think, that's starting to come into the mainstream tactical area. It's kind of like a, a changing of the guard so to speak, of generations. And I think this generation of tactical people are more about, I want to look like a G.I. Joe. You know, they want to look like Dwayne Johnson with the 16 Cobra buckles connected to other Cobra buckles on their vests. I always laugh at that so hard. I show my design guys, I'm like, count how many Cobra buckles are on this vest and then tell me what they do. And they're like, they do nothing. But I know they don't do anything. But they want to look like, you know, people that are fighting fighting giant robots and aliens like and that's that's cool i want to design that stuff for them and it allows us to do a lot more and change the way things look and i think what you're going to see especially the company i'm working with now you're going to see some changes in the way things look and you're going to see more technical stuff you're going to see more probably plastic elements you're going to see uh things that appear to be more hard connections than soft connections. So probably a little less Velcro, um, a little less bulk, a little less uh, softer look of the product and a little bit more harder look of it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, tell me a little bit about the stuff you have behind you. You got some Captain America, some uh, what that's, uh, you know, yeah, there's, there's, stuff. There's, there's, 80% you're not seeing that's everywhere else in my office. Um, oh, so tell, so tell me about, you know, you're, you're definitely one of those science fiction kind of nerd. You, no, I'm just <laughs> a nerd. I'm just saying that that's a, 
That's something that, that you like and you have an affinity towards. I I revel in that. I love that you love that. I think it's awesome. So tell me about that. You know, tell me about, you know, I, I, look, I saw Star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, when it was original in 1977. I'm very proud of it. I saw the first three. But after that, I haven't seen any more. You know, I think it's awesome. But, I, you know, I just don't kind of get into it the way, like, you know, maybe you do or some other people do. And I want to know ab- about that kind of affinity. Tell me about that love. And I respect it. I'm, please don't think I'm making fun of you at all. Oh, no, 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 for sure. At all. You know, tell me about, uh, tell hey, me about even it. Even if someone makes fun of me, I'm totally, I'm totally there to explain why it's awesome. Because it's awesome. Um, maybe not recently awesome, but been awesome in the past. Um, so that's where one of my soapboxes would be, the new Star Wars stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, so like I have mo- some Marvel stuff. Um, now I, I will clarify that I am probably the uh, a shallow fan of the Marvel Universe. I'm a fan of the movies and the cinema. I don't read the comics. Um, so I'm not that deep. Uh, but I, I like the Marvel stuff. I like, um, I have Star Trek ships. I have uh, on my wall that you can't see, I have a Starship Troopers, um, a flag of the, the mobile infantry, um, and uh, Gundam from anime and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm into all of that stuff. Star Wars is obviously my most passionate thing. Um, and it's just the things that have had the biggest impact on my life. And I always think the people that are into like the science fiction, into the, the Marvel stuff and stuff like that are more dreamers that are looking out to what things could be like. Because if you're, if you're really not into that stuff, you really are more planted in, well, I won't say reality, but you're more planted in current times. Um, I look both almost opposite directions. I look futury stuff. And I love past stuff. I'm into like ancient Egyptian, ancient Greek. Like I've done tons of uh, research on ancient religions, current religions, stuff like that. I'm, I, I'm in the process of trying to write a book. Um, I've written a Star Wars novel, but I've never gotten it to publish and stuff like that. But these things all like inform my views, um, my personal faith, my uh the outlook on life and the way I want to be as a person. So, like, I mean, you see Iron Man's helmet, you see Captain America's shield, stuff like that. Like, um, of all my heroes, you know, I have I have true heroes that are real life heroes, like my my mom, my dad, um, like Martin Luther King, Alexander the Great. Um, uh, we have a Jesus is in there, even though I'm not Christian. Uh, I had uh, Buddha and stuff like that, like real life people who have really shaped my outlook on things um, and how I want to be as a person. And then there's the fantasy ones, of course, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, Captain America, Tony Stark. Um, You know, there's there's probably a lot of those in there too, but they're all like things that I kind of idolize, a mindset, um, like Captain America is probably my favorite superhero just because he's just a good person. You know, like, it's just that, A, he's not waiting for someone else to stand up. If he's there, he's standing up. It's not like he's going to walk away, turn a blind eye, say someone else is going to handle this. 
he does it, which is something I always want to embody in, in my own uh, life. And family and friends think that, uh, that that's nice, but sometimes they don't want me to do it. When I hear a gunshot, I want to go find out if anyone's okay or needs help. But they're like, what are you doing? You know, like, it's like, well, I want to go see someone needs help. Like, how would you feel if I was the one laying there on the ground and nobody was coming to me? So, like, Captain America is a big one for me. Uh, he just is the embodiment of what a person should be. Not physically, even though that's the goal, to look like Captain America physically, but you want to be like Captain America on the inside. And, uh, yeah, so all those things that inform what I do, they stretch my mind to say, if, if I want to design things, why, why wait for the future for them to look like the future? I'm a designer now. I can make things look like that now. So those are always inspiration. I always talk to my, uh, my design team, start random, random conversations about, you know, things like that, TV shows and like Star Trek and Star Wars. And get, I want to get them to get out of the box of their head and to think about crazy things and all that. And uh, one of the comments from one of the higher tier groups was that he was talking to the sales rep and I think he said something like, uh, when he came here, because they, they had me go there, which is a great honor to be able to go to those bases and to talk to them directly. Like when, he, when he came here, he was talking about all this crazy Star Wars stuff. And he goes, we thought he was nuts. And he goes, but you know what? It works. So and to me, that's a big compliment, you know, because you're getting somebody who's the, probably like the epitome of cool. And you're getting them to imagine that all the possibilities of what you could do and you're you know, nudging them in that direction and turning them into a big squishy nerd. I think you're <laughs> awesome, dude. I'm telling you, look, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan of your gear. I think you do great work, and I think it's an honor, right? Tell me, you mentioned a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your spirituality. I know that you're spiritual. I know that you're a very loving, caring person, that you have a bigger picture of the world. Uh, than just a small little piece. Tell me about tell me about how you would characterize your spirituality, if you don't mind. Growing, um, I think that I can't remember who exactly said it, but um, life is a lesson. Um, and I think actually Lynn Biscuit in the song said, "Life is a lesson. You learn it when you're through." But he was probably quoting somebody else. I think that your spirituality, your your faith and everything like that should grow as you grow. You are here to learn and you can be taught things, but you need to learn them for yourself. It's kind of like sometimes you, someone teaches you something, but unless you do it yourself or figure it out, sometimes people figure it out for themselves, they learn it better. And I think that's, that's more true because if someone tells you something's true, you kind of accept that it's true, but you're a little shaky on it and you really don't have a way to defend it. And if you learn it for yourself, you know it's true. So you have more resolve behind it and you may even have reasons because you came to that conclusion. So I've studied a dozen at least religions um, and I'm, I'm not for religion per se because I think what you constitute the religion and the institution of it it's on its way to starting to be corrupt 
because you basically made a powerhouse. Um, people's faith is a weakness sometimes, not, not in the fact that the faith makes you weak, but it's a way in to you because they'll use your faith against you. And if you, if you kind of just give what you're told by other people, you're not even sure that what you're being told by different people associated with the same religion are telling you the same thing. You can go to one church, one synagogue, or whatever, and they'll teach you something, and then you go to the other one, and it's totally different than what you heard the last person say. Um, so I've picked and pulled things from from a lot of them, and, and um, part of what's kind of centering around the book I've been trying to write for a while is there's a common thread to a lot of faiths, and a lot of the stories, when you boil them down to the roots, you get to something that's so similar it's almost like a game of a telephone where somebody said something, they pass it along, pass it along, and then you just like all like the different people at the end have totally different ideas of what, what that was than, than the first person. And I do think a lot of the, the most popular faiths are um, embellished. Uh, like I always joke with some of my Christian friends, like there's, there's no reason for an angel to have wings if there's no air in heaven or there's no need for a sword because why would an angel need a sword but would you read the bible and hear a story about angels zapping each other with light beams and they go no that's just weird and do you like swords swords are cool you know so like sometimes they they tailored some of the things but a lot of the the underlying messages the underlying stories and stuff like that there's something there so I usually gravitate more towards the Eastern religions. I consider myself closest to Taoism um, than, and Buddhism is like a close second. Uh, but there's like Judaism, Christianity, there's something in there. And if you read in the stuff you hear about all the other religions, they're not that far off. And as you said, I, I like, thank you for saying I'm a, a caring person and stuff like that. I hope that I am. Um, it hurts sometimes when, well, you always see it. Sometimes I'll comment on, on Facebook, which is why I keep my work separate from my Facebook, because sometimes I can't not comment when I hear somebody saying something, even if it's something that's like, uh, uh, they seem, they feel like they're on the side of justice or righteousness or something like that. And I may be on their side, but they may have said one or two things in there that I think they crossed the line. And I'm like, hey, I'm just saying, I'm not disagreeing with you, but you said something that you crossed the line. Sometimes I feel like my caringness, I'm like a referee in a fight. I don't really care who wins the fight, but I don't want to see any dirty punches. You know, and I may have my favorite, but if my favorite throws a dirty punch, I'm still going to call them out and say, look, you're doing great, but you went below the belt. Keep it up. You know, like... Uh, and I'll, I'll do that, and and, it, and sometimes it angers some of my friends that I'll, I'll comment on there, or they'll take the complete inverse and think that I'm arguing against them or something like that. I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I just think that you're, you know, you're using anger to do your arguments, and, and I try to not have any anger. I have passion, but not anger in my arguments and in my faiths and in my debates and stuff like that, and it hurts me inside when I see someone going towards anger 
especially in like religious back and forth where two people could be arguing about their, their religions and they're like nearly the same thing. They just disagree about which day is holy or something like that. It's like, why, why, why would that drive something between you? Whether it's Saturday or it's Sunday, both of them are weekend days. Chill on both of them. I don't care. <laughs> we, we, at some point, we have to give each other room to be ourselves, right? We have to, we have to say it's okay to, to worship on Saturday if that's what you want to do. And you know what? Maybe it's okay if I worship on Sunday if that's what I want to do. And maybe it's okay if I don't worship uh, in a group setting and I do something you know, the way I feel led to do, and that'd be okay, too, you know, we can all give each other lots of room to be okay. You know? Yeah, and, and they'll, you see a lot of times people that have, well, not necessarily blind faith, but people that are so infatuated with their religion or their faith, that they can't see certain things, like they're too close to it, they can't take a step back, like, they'll say that, um, oh, I know 100% that my faith is completely correct or something like that. And I go, okay, well, listen, everyone on the planet that's as faithful as you to their faith thinks that. Somebody's wrong. And more than likely, everybody's wrong. Because to say that what you know is 100% correct, it's almost like how dare you think that you know everything. That you think you know, like if, like, I don't personally believe in technically a, a solitary personification of God, but, like, you think you know everything God does? You think you know their intentions? You think you know, you know, everything they've done and how they've done it? Like, don't you think that that's a little close to being one of your sins or something to perceive that you think you know all this? Like, can you accept that possibly you don't know everything? Like, and... and it's it's to me a little unbelievable how how deep people get into it and i think it just comes from they want the security they don't feel secure in their own life they want to have something that's solid because they don't feel like something in their life is as solid they have to know that this book is solid like it's not changing for them they're they're good to go and and rely and lean on that and for someone to tell them chapter 21 verse whatever is not right like messes with their their mind and they're like no can't be gotta be right gotta be right so it's the infallibility of human created theism is kind of scary sometimes yeah i get it i get it so Tell me about your patriotism real quick. Are you a big July the 4th fireworks kind of guy? I know you, you know, you, you were serving in, in, you know, in JROTC and, and JRTC college. Obviously, you're patriotic. You make, you know, protective vests that save our warriors, you know, in battle. And I'm very proud of that. Uh, tell me about your patriotism. So I am patriotic in the sense of uh, what the United States stands for, um, the initial intent of the country. Um, like for me, my patriotism is not limited by the 50 stars. I want there to be more stars. 
they they made the field of blue to keep growing. And I think it's a weird thing to think that we're secure in those 50 and we want to stay there. You know, like like on the, the Puerto Rico situation, I always tell people that I know a lot of people from Puerto Rico. Two of them uh, worked for me at one time. Currently, one that worked for me is from Puerto Rico. I work with multiple Puerto Ricans, and I'm like, and if I were president right now, I'd give you guys a choice. Um, you get a timeline up to this point to become a state, or we're going to let you be your own thing because I feel like we're strangling Puerto Rico with our regulations and not giving them the full benefits of being a state. I mean, kind of like, you know, how dare we let them serve in the military and not be able to have full rights? You know, you could die for us, but you can't vote. Like, it's like, there's things that I'm, I'm patriotic enough to say that we can be wrong. And I think some people that are, they believe they're patriotic enough that we're, to say that we're right. I don't think that's, that's, I think that's a lower level of patriotism. That's a shallow patriotism. We're always supposed to improve. That's why our constitution has an amendment system in place. It wasn't meant to be infallible from the day of print. It was meant to be changed. Um, the wording of, of our documents was done openly. And uh, of course it was tempered by the time um, the things that needed to happen for it for it to get ratified and for people to be on board but the founding fathers had the idea the vision of what the united states could become and i always support that um and i always dream for that like i miss the days when the american flag would fly and people would be happy to see us now they are not happy to see us when they when they see the american flag or american troops going somewhere, I want them to be grabbing their bouquets to throw out at the troops rather than their grenades. And right now, I think I, I'm, I'm patriotic enough to say right now we've lost our way. Uh, we're not bad guys. Sometimes we may have been the bad guy in a situation, but we're not like the bad guys yet. I think that if we're not careful, we could uh, be caught up in our own hubris or whatever you want to call it, where we think we're so great that we're blind to the pain and suffering that we can cause. And I think America first is a weird concept because America was designed to help everybody. And let alone the fact that America is not just one continent, it's two continents. And when we say we're American, it's a little arrogant to to claim that we're American, nobody else is, even though they live in North or South America. But saying we're from the States is hard to say. Uh, but I think that we need to, we need to be the good guys again. We need to remember what America was for. America was to help people. You're, you give us your tired, you're hungry, you're sick. Um, and my patriotism extends to just like uh, the, the Pledge of Allegiance which I think I posted on Facebook before, it says pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands. Stands for the Republic. It doesn't say I pledge allegiance to the president of the United States. It doesn't say I pledge allegiance to the economy. It doesn't say I pledge allegiance to, you know, whatever, the, the Congress or whatever. It says that we 
are pledging our allegiance to what this nation stands for. And I think people forget that because what it stands for to them is their own pocketbooks. And they're scared of losing those things. So we need, we need to remember that we could be heroes because heroes are not just like the, the people who are super strong or the people who are you know super powerful or super smart. Heroes are just the people that do the right thing when the right thing needs to be done. And it's hard to be a hero in that one moment when you need to make that decision to sacrifice something that's close to you or that you want to do to help somebody else that you may not even know. But it, it takes seconds to be a hero. Um, and I think that though we've let a lot of those pass us by. Wow, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, thank you for sharing. That that was a very, uh, I don't know, that was very prophetic. That was cool. We have let a lot of those those moments pass us by. That's for sure. That's for sure. Thanks for, you know, thanks for talking with me tonight. I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. I'm not sure what what you inspected, but I definitely have gotten everything I expected out of it. I enjoyed it. Let's if you don't mind, uh, tell me a little bit about your family. Who lays their head at night on their pillow and thinks about, you know, RJ and, and prays for you, you know? I have my wife and my, my son. And uh, I have um, my mother and father are healthy. And uh, I have a brother who's married. And I have uh, two nieces. And then um, I have uh, aunts and uncles and uh, cousins that I'm sure are, are spread out from various degrees. <laughs> um, the only ones I know that have my name are in Michigan, I believe. But uh, yeah, so there's, luckily everyone in my family is, there's, there's, there's not a crazy amount of family. I would say I have a, a, a smaller, close, closer family than a, than a broad amount of family. Um, but they always say like, the, the fewer you have, the more they're worth. Um, so I, I like the size of my family and, uh, maybe in the next few years it'll grow. And then, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm everyone, luckily everyone is healthy and happy and, and we're all, we're all close, but not weird close. Amen. Amen. Well, Hey, you know, RJ has been an honor to, to talk to you. You're one of my heroes. Uh, this is going on the you know, the heroes I know will get you a coin and a box and everything uh, and get sent Thank to you. you. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's about it's about connecting with people that, that I feel are, uh, you know, wonderful and great. And I, I've met, I loved you from the moment I met you. I thought you were a special guy, and uh, I appreciate what you do. And, uh, you know, hey, the designer of tactical vests. That's cool. That's cool, dude, right? That is really yeah. cool. I got to tell you, it's a lot. I, I started in uh, weapons design in college and stuff, but it always seemed to turn some people off when you introduce yourself and say what you did. But when you say you design tactical products and protective products, nobody really turns over at you, you know? So. Oh, it's awesome, <laughs> man. It just gives me, it gives me goosebumps to think. Now, literally, listen. Listen, you have saved, you know, 
at least 10 people's lives with a product that you make. No doubt. Like, I'm serious. 10 is a small number, right? The products you've designed and, and, and the, that's out in the field right now are saving, you know, American lives uh, as we speak, both in the United States Army and Marine Corps, Air Force, uh, on our borders, in our police forces, SWAT teams. R.J. Lamarb, everybody, that's so cool. Thank you for spending some time with me, man. I've enjoyed every minute of it, man. Yeah, I have too. It was fun. Thanks. All right, buddy. Well, uh, we'll be in touch, okay? All right.